Hello, ladies and gents. Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I've got special guest Scott Harmon on the line. Scott is someone who I have communicated with quite regularly with via email and the DSK forums. DSK is a deeper state keto. It's a course that I made a cutting course way back in the day with Keto Connect. And Scott has been incredibly active on the forums. He offers a ton of value, answers a bunch of questions. And one day I reached out and I'm like, hey man, you've got you've got a lot of knowledge here. I feel like your story is very approachable. I feel like it, it resonates with a lot of people. How about I get you on the podcast and just talk about it? So that's exactly what we did. We dive into his weight loss journey, his whole fitness journey, his keto journey, and it's got some good stuff. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation with Scott. Scott, we're live. How are you, man? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing wonderfully well. Cannot complain. You're actually not doing too great because you just had surgery on your appendix, got it removed. So it's not like the perfect day for you. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm still here. I'm still kicking. So uh, (laughs) I'm I'm doing all right. I'm recovering okay. Good, good. Glad to hear it. Well, man, I wanted to get you on here because you've gone through the Deeper State Keto program and, you know, you're, you're one of the guys that's like constantly on the forums, active on the forums, helping people and... I mean, with no no incentive other than just you want to be a good person, and you're very helpful to those people that have a lot of questions about keto, and you've had quite the journey yourself. So I kind of want to just dive into your background, man. Like, what got you into keto in the first place? What got you motivated to do DSK? What have you learned in that process? It's just kind of peel back the curtain and see what, what all has been going on. Yeah, so I, I mean, I'm just a, a regular average, average guy, um, you know, if you want to go way back i i was just a, a high school athlete i played soccer and ran track and you know i was like 100 i'm, I'm around six foot um i was 165 back then um college came on i started drinking and eating dorm food and you know didn't didn't really train or do anything like that and then uh you know life life moved on so um eventually i got up uh probably a year or two after college i was like 230 240 and i remember thinking you know if only I could get to 210, I would be, I'd be happy, mm-hmm. but I don't think I could get there. My, you know, I, I didn't really in my mind think that I could make it back to 210. So, um, you know, I, I had, uh, just everyday life. I had a problem with eating gas station, fast food, breakfast sandwiches, or, you know, fast food, breakfast sandwiches. And, you know, I just, I kept getting bigger and bigger. So, uh, and less and less activity. So, um, you know, I, I would always then try, and I was all eating a regular diet back then. Um, I would always have, you know, different things to try to motivate me to lose weight. I, I'd have some weight loss with some friends and they were not really, uh, uh, very good weight loss bets because the loser had to, had to buy beer and the <laughs> person who got second place had, to, had to buy tickets to like a sporting game. I'm from St. Louis. And so we'd go to the those Cardinals game and you know the one guy had to buy tickets and the other guy had to buy the beer so it's not like uh, we were really really making our life you know better but it was just a little bit of a motivation so um, that so that didn't really work um, I uh, I ended up training for a marathon uh, back in like 2007 um, I have three three kids um, they're 13, 10, and 7, so I'm always running around with them. But when my uh, oldest was was just a baby, I said, you know what? I have to get in shape, so I'm around for him. And 
So I thought, hey, I'll just train for a marathon. I'll lose a bunch of weight. All those marathon runners are skinny, and that didn't work because then I just uh, I ate more because I realized that I, I ran, so I, I earned it. Right, right. Um, and, you know, time went on. I just kept getting bigger and bigger. So uh, eventually I got up to – I was probably – I was about 315 when I realized that, hey, I, I have to do something different, man. It's not working. So uh, I, I, I don't know what led me to keto. I, uh, I ended up – I've done all kinds of things back in the day. I've, I've done the P90X. I've done Insanity, all those beach body type things. Um, I would do these things called diet bets. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but diet bets, you basically bet money and – you have to lose, you know, or I think it's 4% of your weight in, in like a month. Um, but those were really easy to manipulate. You got to weigh in at the beginning and weigh in at the end. And whoever, whoever made that goal would share in the pot. So, um, I did some of those and I, I never was really, you know, I would lose 10, 15 pounds or something like that and everything would be great. And then, you know, a couple months later I was back where I started. So, um, I, re- I really got to the point where, I had a few things happen that, you know, everybody talks about what's your why of why you, you know, really have the motivation to lose weight. And mine was th- there was several that all combined to kind of say, all right, I have to do something. One of them was uh, I couldn't buy pants in the regular, <laughs> regular section. Mm-hmm. Like I was looking, I was like, all right, I just need an inch bigger. And those were over in the big and tall section. And so that right there was, was a problem. Um, the other things were I, I had a couple bouts of uh, gout, mm-hmm. which is really terrible. Uh, I'd never want my worst enemies to have to deal with that. Um, so that was terrible. So I had, uh, I'm sorry, I'm losing my train of thought here a little bit. No, you, oh, you, I saw you, some pic. I, I, I coached some of my kids in sports, and uh, I saw some pictures of uh, that my wife took of me coaching, and I was I just didn't. I didn't recognize the person there. So I was like, whoa, who is this guy and why is he so fat? Um, so kind of kind of a couple of those those things kind of led me to say, all right, I have to do something different. And and what led me to keto was I, I needed the motivation. I did some research and uh, I found a site called Healthy Wage. Have you heard of that? I have not. Probably not. So Healthy Wage, uh, you basically, you, you put it, it's, a, it's just a website. You put in how much money you want to wager, um, how much weight you want to lose, and what's the time time frame that you want to do that. So um, I, I dug around to it. I didn't know if it was legit or anything like that, um, but I kind of did some research. I looked back. I had some old food logs from like uh, I used to use the app Lose It mm-hmm. uh, to track my weight. And so I looked in. I was like, okay, what's a weight that I think I might be able to get to? <laughs> And I thought, hey, I can lose 65 pounds would get me like, you know, not not too terrible. And so I I put in my measure. They want to know your age, your sex and your uh, waist. Mm-hmm. And I, I put that in and it said if I bet $50 a month for nine months, that I would lose 65 pounds that I would win back like $1,400. So I had like a uh, $1,000 profit if I was able to do that. And so... That led me down a rabbit hole of I, I decide I'm going to do this, but I am not going to lose $450 that I'm putting in. So I have to figure out a way to do this. And uh, I think that led me down the rabbit hole of YouTube. 
um, where I eventually found and started researching keto. Um, I was really nervous going into it. Um, I was worried about electrolytes and all of that, but I finally decided, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to dive in. I'm going to, I'm going to go a hundred percent. And, uh, as a backup plan, I, I started watching a bunch of videos where, uh, UFC guys were cutting weight to meet, meet their weigh in or whatever, where they, they load up on water and, and lose a bunch of weight over mm-hmm. you know course of two days. And I was like, all right, as a backup plan, if I can only lose 45 pounds, I'm, I'm still going to make it. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I, I jumped in head first. That was February of 2018. And, and I haven't looked back since, um, with keto, um, the weight started just dropping. I lost 10 pounds the first week, another four or five pounds the second week. And, and I got down that 65 pounds pretty quickly. Um, and then I just kind of maintained that for, for a while. So then I was right around, you know, 240, 250, somewhere in there, um, probably for about nine months. And I was kind of stuck. Um, I, I, I didn't know what to do. I, I tried everything to get unstuck because I, I know I still had 40 to 50 pounds left to, to lose. Um, and so I tried egg fast. I tried, you know, all kinds of different things on the internet to where, you know, people are doing this to kind of break a plateau and, and it just didn't work. Um, and that's where I ultimately found DSK. That's crazy, man. I kind of want to back up here because I didn't even know these, these wager platforms, these, you know, bet money and lose weight concepts even existed this is all totally new to me um and i i I get the concept like i feel like people you know when you put a little skin in the game it makes you much more likely to to you know hold hold to the commitment which makes sense but i feel like that can be a very very slippery slope with regard to ways to to make sure you don't lose money yeah it was definitely um you know uh the diet bet one is is pretty simple you it's usually four percent for 30 days and um it you you put in like say twenty five dollars every every bet has a different different uh, wager amount but um, you know what what happens is depending on how many people are in the game like you know uh, there might be a thousand people in the game or whatever so you would split basically half of that pot of money with the people who ultimately win win the bet um, I think the other half goes to the site and then there's some celebrity uh, people on there that host bets. And I think they probably get a cut um, out of that, that thing, that pot too. But um, you know, that one, it it was really easy to manipulate because, you know, 4% of, of your weight is not really that much. And if, you know, what I, what I learned is if you weigh in at night after drinking a, a bunch of water and stuff like that, you know, and then, and then weigh in your final way out in the morning, it's very easy to be halfway there. Mm-hmm. And so it just, that one didn't work um, for me. But the healthy wage one, um, it had a video weigh in. Uh, you have to, you know, weigh yourself in, step it on the scale and show your whole body. And then you basically get to pick whatever your time frame is. And, and I said, you know what, it, it may not be legit, um, but if I lose $450 and it, it helps me stay motivated, then, you know, so be it. I'll, I'll, you know, write it off as a cost of a trainer. 
or something like that. So I'm very frugal and cheap. So me losing four hundred fifty dollars was was not really an option. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it definitely would appeal and work really, really well for a certain type of you know individual. But it's kind of crazy when you think about it because like a casino is always betting that overall the house wins, you know, like you're going to have yep. periods where, where the individual wins, but overall the house is betting on winning. And it's like whoever creates this concept, whoever created this concept, this, this site, this platform, it's like they're betting on the overall loss of all the participants over time. Uh, and they're going to make money, which is, is crazy to think about. Cause I think, you know, the motivations are just probably yep. not made in the breast, the best way. Yeah, I mean, looking back, it wasn't, you know, it's not obviously the best thing in the world. Um, and their algorithms, you know, I, I decided if I was going to do it, I was going to win a lot of money. So you had to kind of play with the numbers. And I guess they have an algorithm that says, you know, we don't really think you're going to win. So mm-hmm. here, we'll give you a lot of money back in return. Um, and, and, you know, looking back, it, it wasn't, it's probably not the best thing for people to do. Um, but for me, it was definitely something to get me motivated because, you know, my health and wellness and, you know, all of the other things that, that people use as motivation, whether it's to be around for my kids and stuff like that, it, it just wasn't, it wasn't something that while, while it was a motivation, it wasn't enough motivation to put me over the edge to, to stay consistent with, with my diet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've always struggled in the past with, you know, diets and stuff like that. Um, you know, and in most diets, you, you just eat less and you eat more foods that you don't really like. And then, you know, eventually you give in and you have a hamburger or, you know, whatever it is that was off limits at the time. And then, then you're worse off in the long run. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, that's honestly why I really wanted to get you on the podcast because I feel like your story is very similar to a lot of people's story. I mean, people, you know, they, they look at me, talking about keto and it, most people are not bodybuilders like the very, the bodybuilding demographic is very small and because of that it's, it's hard for a lot of people to relate with me and what I would recommend but you have the unique position in that you've found something that works really really well it's allowed you to lose that initial 65 pounds and then bust through that plateau and continue to lose and it's all been through a properly implemented ketogenic diet and I feel like a lot of people are hearing the story have gone through you know these periods in their life to get to college they put on some weights they have kids, they're busy, their schedules are chaotic, they don't have time to, you know, go to the gym every single day for two hours, and it just becomes like this downward negative spiral. So it's it's a good opportunity for you to, to resonate with a lot of people that have a similar story and then kind of educate them as to how this has worked really well for you and could potentially work really well for them. So in finding keto, figuring out what's worked well for you, what your body's responded best to, what are some of the things that you've found to, to give you the most bang for your buck, so to speak, as far as nutritional manipulations? There's a lot of debate right now in the keto space about like, if you've got a bunch of fat to lose, should you eat less dietary fat? So just what, what are some of those uh, you know, concepts for you and like what, what's worked really well? You know, initially, before I was on the DSK program, um, I just tried to make sure that my at any meal, my fat grams were more than uh, my protein grams. So Mm -hmm. equal, you know, that one-to-one ratio that I think you've talked about in the past. And, you know, even, even then I wasn't really measuring food. I was just kind of, kind of more guesstimating and saying, okay, I, I need a little bit of fat here. So I'll add, you know, and I would add cream cheese or butter or whatever. 
Um, and people, people around me would sometimes look at me funny. Um, but, but that works. Um, but you know, ultimately I like to keep it simple. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have any problem eating the same foods over and over. And, you know, I, I think the high fat really, really is helpful. I really, uh, felt good on the high fat. Um, but I also think that a little bit more protein for me seems to be a little bit more satiating. Like when I first started the DSK program, I started the DSK program in April of 2019. And I think the first couple of weeks when I was at that super high uh, ratio, I was just hungry all the time. And I don't know if that was partially because I wasn't really tracking my macros before, but I, I was almost ravenous the first couple of weeks. But mm -hmm. then as, as the protocol kind of increased, uh, protein a little bit and dropped the fat, I, I got, mu I felt much, much better. Um, those second couple few weeks as the protein went up a little bit. So, you know, my ratio is probably about 75% is kind of where I, I feel good. Yeah. That's, that's kind of like my sweet spot as well. But even, so even before DSK, when you're just doing your own thing and you were at that one-to-one, -one, you know, you're that that's one to one in grams or in calories? Grams. Grams, grams. for sure. So even at a one to one, you're getting about sixty seven percent of your calories coming from fat, correct? Uh yeah, I think so. And I think you know, I felt I felt really good. I was eating two meals a day, I was never hungry, I was eating foods I liked and everything was great. I think, you know, it it's gonna be very individualized. It it depends on how fat adapted you are. There's a lot of factors that come into consideration here, but I feel like this idea that if you're trying to develop and adapt to a ketogenic lifestyle, you should just drop your fat, let your body tap into your stored fat and keep protein very, very high is, is while it can work for some people, I feel like it's not the most optimal way to go about it because by default, you're going to have probably lower caloric intake. So you're going to see some weight loss from that standpoint alone, right. but it's not really contributing to you optimizing your ability to efficiently use fat in the best manner possible. Yeah, I, I, uh, I agree. And, and one thing that I did is because I had that money on the line, I did not eat a single carb for at least six months. I was so scared that if I, I ate anything that had carbs in it, that I would just, you know, balloon up and gain a bunch of water weight and things wouldn't work. So I was I, I think I became really fat adapted uh, through the first six months when I was I was pretty strict on on what carbs went in my mouth. I think that's super important too, man, because I feel like you know a lot of people start keto for the first time and they they don't even really have a full grasp as to where these carbs are coming from. And unless you're really tracking, you would never think that some of the foods you're eating are as high in carbs as they actually are. So I feel like if you have I don't want people to think they have to be a slave to tracking macros by any means, but I feel like it's going to behoove you to know, uh, you know, what you're consuming and be honest with yourself, be realistic with yourself. Um, so having that initial period where you're like tracking to see what your actual consumption is and being honest with those numbers is going to be incredibly important, whatever your goal is, whether it's to build muscle, lose body fat, or just simply get healthy. Um, and then based off of what you've learned and how sustainable that is, you can kind of decide to track or not track. But in tracking, and in realizing how many carbs you're consuming and where these carbs are coming from, I feel like you're more inclined to be conscious of that and mitigate any unnecessary carbs coming in. And when you do that, you're going to allow yourself to get into a deeper state of ketosis, uh, much more 
you know, much more quickly. Um, I mean, with you going right off the bat with that money on the line by dropping your total carbon carbon take drastically, I mean, your body's pretty much learning to sink or swim, and it's obviously going to learn to swim. Yeah, and I, and I, you know, after I've I lost a bunch of weight, a few people around me, you know, dabbled in. They were like, "Oh, I'm going to try it," and and there were a few people that. You know, they'd be on it for two weeks and they'd be saying, all right, I'm going to go have a cheat meal here. I'm, I'm off. You know, I'm going to go go drinking or do whatever, you know, this weekend or that weekend. And I don't think they fully gave their body enough time to, to truly adapt. And ultimately, I think I think they gave up on it. I, I'd have to check in on some of those people. But, um, you know, I, I think people just think, hey, I can just, you know, have 40 or 50 carbs and it's net carbs and I'll get adapted and I just don't think, uh, I think people need to, to drop their carbs a little bit more. Yeah, I totally agree, man. I mean, I feel like, you know, what, what my diet personally is going to look like having been adapted for six years now and being a competitive bodybuilder is going to look a lot different than someone that's, you know, needing to lose a hundred pounds and is just getting into keto for the very first time. But either way, anywhere in that spectrum, I feel like if you're, if you're, really wanting to get things dialed in, you're probably going to benefit immensely from a very low total carbohydrate intake and a very high fat ratio, at least in the beginning, to figure out how your body responds to fats as the primary fuel source without all the noise that excess protein or extra carbohydrates has to offer. Yeah, for sure. But I'm right there with you too on the you know increasing protein to an extent to, to add in more satiety. I feel like a lot of people go through this phase where they're worried about gluconeogenesis and they keep the protein down super low. And that's obviously not a good thing either. Like if you don't have enough protein, if you don't have adequate protein, then, you know, you're going to contribute to muscle wasting. It's just not going to be satiating. And then, I mean, the less sustainable it is from a satiation standpoint, the more likely you are to binge and go off the rails in the first place. And that's obviously not good. Yeah, I I definitely feel, um, you know, sometimes in my food choices I can tell, um, you know, I'm much more satiated if I have a high, higher protein. Um, but then, you know, so I might have some days, you know, when I'm not on a, a specific plan or program where my protein is super high compared to my fats. Um, and I usually feel good, but I, I haven't, I haven't tried that for an extended period of time. I've, I've usually tried to stick with, with the high fats. Yeah, and I think it also matters whether you're in the context of being in a maintenance or surplus versus a deficit. Like if I'm in a surplus and I'm eating, you know, a ton of protein relative to fat, I'm going to feel fine. Like I'm not going to feel, uh, I'm probably going to have a little bit more bloats. I'm probably going to have a little bit more brain fog, but I'm not going to feel like I'm depleted by any means. Whereas if I'm in a right. super steep deficit, like in a contest prep or something like that, if my protein is exponentially higher than my fat, then I'm I'm not going to have the satiety either. So there's kind of a point of diminishing returns of protein. It's got more volume, so you can have more satiety from a volume standpoint. But if you are super low in the calories and you're not getting that dietary fat, and you're you're not going to have that satiety no matter how much volume you have. Yeah, that's that's probably true because you know when I was playing around with higher protein, it was during uh, during quarantine when when I wasn't doing much of anything. I wasn't really really tracking or I was just kind of eating until I was full. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, definitely. so what about um you know with you being on DSK and for anybody that doesn't know, DSK is a a course that I made way back in the day. Um, it's got like a you know, cutting protocol, basically using ketogenic diet and walks you through how to do that through a self-led course. But with you doing that, you know, there's a forum 
you've gotten a bunch of questions on there. You've been super active on the forum, so huge appreciation for you there, man. I appreciate you pulling that weight. Um, but what are some of the, the common questions you're getting in the forums and then just in the in the space in general? I feel like you've got a pretty good pulse on, on what people's confusion is, is stemming from. Um, at least to an extent, I feel like I feel like you've probably got a pretty good idea as to what the general public, from the forums and just online and YouTube comment section, to see kind of what people are most confused with in this current time within the keto community. I, I think a lot of people just hear a lot of different things, all you know, a, a, around on the internet or or just in general, and, and and I don't know if they, you know, some people just maybe haven't haven't taken the time to really understand the reasons why, you know, the, the course is designed how it is. I think, you know, a lot of people that I talk to just in the general public are like, Oh, well, you know, Scott, can you eat this? Can you eat that? Can you, you know, Oh, and, and, and they're asking the dumbest questions. Like, Hey, can you eat, can you eat? Um, I can't think of any carbs off the top of my head, but can you eat, uh, pizza well i mean i could eat pizza if i wanted to i i choose not to eat pizza but it's just i i think the general population just really struggles with knowing what foods are made up of and what what carbs are and and what what carb they don't just look at the label the nutrition labels uh, enough yeah um and, and then i think you know when it when it comes to dsk i think you know people just want to know answers and you know when i first um joined dsk you know it was back you guys have revamped it but the forum was a little bit clunkier and you'd ask a question because you couldn't find the answer on on the internet you'd search the internet and you couldn't find your specific situation on the internet and get an answer you can get generalized answers but something that's kind of more individualized and and I struggled to get answers. And by the time you made up your mind and just did it and somebody responded, you've already made up your mind and it might be, you know, a week later. So um, that's kind of the reason I, I was trying to post a lot and answer questions just because I know if people have answer questions and they can't find the answer, they're going to be searching and looking for that answer. And so um, people have helped me along the way. So I feel like I, I can help other people. That's a really good point, man. And there's there's so much, you know, individuality and there's a certain spectrum in which you know most answers would fit most people but if you get a very specific question there there's no, and and from an optimization standpoint you can't possibly optimize with a general generalized answer because that optimization by definition is going to be very individualized to you specifically so i can get people pretty close with a mass blanket statement but if you really want to get things dialed in which is what the dsk course is all about then you're going to have to take the basic information and the general guidelines and then just know enough about yourself to know how you feel how has your performance has your sleep been affected are you holding water are you not holding water these are all things that like no you know blanket statement are going to be able to really fine-tune and finesse for you have to have enough self-awareness to figure out what your body's actually responding to and why yeah i i totally agree and you know, I don't, I, I'm just a guy. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a doctor or anything. So, you know, I, I'm some, I'm a little bit careful in, in my answers um, sometimes just because I don't want to steer somebody in the wrong direction. But I usually, you know, answer questions from my experiences and what I've, I've found in going through the program. And, you know, generally that's, that's kind of all that people need. They just have questions about 
you know, hey, I, I'm starting in phase one, which is kind of the, you know, the phase where you kind of figure out your protein uh, threshold and should I keep going or should I stop and move on to the next phase? And everybody's, you know, wanting to, to move on to, you know, the, the next big thing where they will see all of the results. And sometimes those results don't necessarily show up in the first week or two. Sometimes it takes, you know, a few more weeks and your body's kind of, you know, sometimes it's a little slow to respond. So you, but you got to stick with the plan and stick with the program and, and have faith that it's going to work. Patience is key, man. It's, it's, a. Uh... I'm incredibly patient with certain things and incredibly not patient with other things. But when it comes to, to body recomposition, I feel like I'm very, very patient. And I feel like the general public is probably not so much. And it's a frustration that I've had to really wrap my head around and figure out how to how to have a conversation about these, these different phases and steps and manipulations because people want to see changes, you know, in a moment's notice and reteaching how how to have an expectation with regards to body recomposition is a very tricky subject. So kind of dive into that, man. Like you, you've seen your weight increase, you've seen your weight decrease, you've seen the time it takes to see those changes. What would you say to people that are just starting on a journey and need to have some legitimate expectation? Because you don't want to discourage them, but at the same time, you don't want them going into it with the wrong expectation, thinking they're going to look like a magazine cover in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I wish you could look like a magazine cover cover in a couple of weeks. I, I'd, I'd be there by now. Um, you, you know, I've always had a little bit of, of quick progress that first week or two. Uh, when I started keto, I lost like 10 pounds the first week. When I started DSK, you know, it was amazing. I was I was kind of stalled out and in the same spot for, for a good six to nine months. And then I started DSK and I dropped like seven pounds the first week just from from tracking everything. But then, you know, after that, it was, it was a slow, steady, uh, progress that you almost didn't, didn't notice. And, um, you know, I, I don't know what to tell people on how, how to, uh, to deal with that. But, you know, I, I weigh myself every single morning. Um, and, and I have it Bluetooth into my phone. So I have, I have my weights every single morning, you know, just kind of in, and a lot of times it'll, it'll be the same. It'll go up a little bit, but you know, I've realized that just in kind of trying to real, uh, keep in track, keep, keep track of my food and stuff like that, that if I have a bunch of pickles the night before, mm-hmm. my weight's going to be up. Or if I, you know, have something late at night that, you know, whatever, I, my weight's going to be up. If I, don't eat for you know i might be down the next morning but it's just you just gotta look at the long haul and look maybe on average of weeks i don't i i've tried not to look at weekly uh totals i i try not to keep track of my weight i just i weigh myself and it is what it is and you know if if i'm down a little bit then great you know i give myself a little pat on the back if if i'm not i say ah i had some pickles last night so let's move on what the, um, I'm curious, man, because I feel like the weigh-in, like the scale, is it's it's an interesting topic because I feel like a lot of people are coming into it and they they have this terrible relationship with the scale. They don't ever want to step on the scale. They like want to just throw the scale away. But I've, I, I mean, I've got my own opinion for sure. But I'd kind of like to get your opinion as to what relationship the average individual should have with the scale. Not necessarily like the crazy bodybuilder, or just you know, just the the general population. Like if you wanted to lose weight 
and you're trying to do something new, what benefits does it have to offer? Well, the benefits are you can see the trends over time. Um, you know, I don't if 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 you're weighing yourself and you're really beating yourself up every day, then maybe you just cover it up and and don't look at it. Um, you know, I've I've kind of realized when I started this process that that scale is just going to be a tool that that I can use. I recently uh, I you know with my winnings I ended up winning the bet. So with my winnings I bought an Apple Watch. So I've been kind of tracking my activity and all that stuff. Um, and I have all this data now for the last, you know, couple of years and I'm trying to download all of my data and kind of sync it together to kind of figure out, you know, I ended up gaining some weight during, during this quarantine, uh, period, but I'm going to download it all and kind of analyze it and say, all right, I, I think what happened and why I gained some weight over quarantine is my activity dropped really, far, mm-hmm. really far. And. And I'll be able to correlate that if I put those two numbers together and look at it. But, you know, it's definitely something that you can use to your advantage. Um, but I also think that for some people, they just have to, they just have to not look at it. Yeah, I think, I, think, I think it depends on the person for sure. I agree. I agree. I think even if you decide to not look at it, though, you don't, you don't necessarily want to not track it because um, maybe at a certain point in life you'll be able to, to be honest with yourself and look at it. I feel like, like if you're happy with where you're at, if you're if you're content with how you look, what your composition is, what your health level is, then then who cares? I mean, what's the point in looking at it? Like it's just a number and it doesn't really even matter. Um, if you're if you're content with where you're at. However, if you're wanting to make a change, I feel like the the most reasonable and rational thing you can do, rational thing you can do, is just be honest with yourself. Take take a the stock and all the data that you have, all the variables that you can manipulate, and then develop a game plan that is going to maximize for the outcome in the most efficient manner possible. And being honest with your starting statistics and your statistics throughout the course of that experiment uh, or that journey is going to be tangible information that you can use to improve the efficiency of reaching that outcome. And whether that's the scale weight, whether that's a benchmark on strength metrics, like how many you know push-ups can you do in a given amount of time, whether that's how many steps you get in a day, you know it, it should all be just viewed as data, and you make a decision and adjust your your inputs based off of that data. Um, you know, it's not a good thing, it's not a bad thing. It's just simply a thing, and I feel like if people have that you know relationship with the number on the scale, then it would be a much healthier relationship psychologically. Like I don't you know, look at the scale and, and gauge my, my worth as a human being based off the number that it reflects. And I don't think anybody should do that. I feel like you just simply take that number, be honest with yourself and use that number as a data point. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. I, I also think that it, there could be a point in time when, when you know, things aren't going well and, and you just don't want to, you don't want that confirmation that you're not doing, doing good. Um, you know, my, my work, and, and this is just talking about data, data, my work, uh, offers free health screenings where they, they test your blood and, you know, they give you your cholesterol and triglycerides and, you know, just that metabolic health panel or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and I've done it every year. It's every year in November and, and I, I would do it every year and I'd be nervous about the results. And, um, I, I, in November of 2017, you know, shortly before I started, I, I didn't do the test. I, I just didn't sign up. I, because I knew the numbers that I was, I was going to get back were not going to be pretty. 
because I was at I was at my worst around then. And so I didn't I didn't want that confirmation. I didn't need anybody to tell me that that hey, you're not very healthy right now. You probably should do something about it. So I think I think that definitely comes into some people's minds um, when when they don't want to to use that data. And so it, it it's hard to to really come to the to come to grips with some that information sometimes. Yeah, I think that makes total total sense. I feel like if you if you know that this the number that's going to be reflected is is going to bring you down, but you also know that you're doing everything possible to improve that number, like training hard, eating the right foods, hustling, then then you know you're doing everything that you can. You're not cutting corners and then the number that that scale reflects is irrelevant because you couldn't do anything more than what you're doing currently. What I don't want to see people do is be so fearful of that number that they are like frozen in that fear and don't do anything and aren't honest with themselves and like basically stick their head in the ground uh, and and do nothing. I mean, that's obviously the worst outcome. Right. For sure. It's all a psychological game, man. The the power yeah. of the mind to, to help you reach a goal in fitness and nutrition is, is a very interesting thing. If it was easy, everybody would be in great shape. 100%. 100%. Well, what about your family life, man? How is, how is improving your health to the extent that you have changed your relationship with your kids and and all that well i mean i have i have three kids and we're in sports so um you know other than this week having surgery we probably have anywhere anywhere between one and three practices or sporting events um each each day of the of the week um i i typically coach a couple teams uh, for various kids and and i'm one of those guys that likes to get out there and run around with the kids and and uh, I use that as my motivation of, hey, if I can, if I can, you know, run these sprints, then you guys can too. And, you know, I'm not making you do it, run sprints to be, to me mean, I'm running sprints so that, you know, when it's late in the game and you guys need to hit that next, that next level, you'll have the fitness to be able to do it. So um, that has definitely improved in being able to, to do that sort of thing, Um I, w- I think my wife would probably say that I'm I'm a I'm a, a worse cook now. A worse cook? Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm the only one in my family that's keto, mm. um, and and I'm the cook of the house. So if anything gets made in the house, it's it's me. And I I tend to you know I'll, I'll meal prep for myself and then throw together something for the rest of the family and. Sometimes, you know, I'm not as creative as I, as I used to be when we were on the, uh, the standard American diet, but I think I'm, I'm generally a happier person, uh, easier to be around, um, when we go out and and do things on the weekends, I have plenty of energy to, to do whatever it is that we need to do. And I I never have problems. So, so I think that's generally better. What is it like being the only one in the house that that's keto, man? I mean, I feel like that is oftentimes a massive roadblock that comes up, and people kind of use that as a scapegoat to deviate. But how have you been able to stay on the straight and narrow? Um, well, I'm not gonna lie. There's been times when you know when I'm cooking, I'll have a bite here and there just to make sure it tastes good. Um, mm-hmm. But not when I'm on on a protocol or or trying to to make certain improvements. Um, but it's definitely tough. I mean, you know, my immediate family, none of them are keto and, and none of my extended family or, or even my close friends that we hang out with are keto. And, 
you know, if, if we're going out to a restaurant, people are always worried about what's Scott going to eat? What, what am I going to do? Like if we have a, a family night where I'm going over to my folks house, Scott, what can I make you to, you know, to make you be able to eat? And I'm like, don't worry about me. Just let's just do what we would normally do. And I will either eat food or I won't. Yeah. Um, it, it's tough sometimes just because, you know, oftentimes there's, there's not many options. So I just have to be, be prepared. Sometimes I'll bring a keto brick with me. Sometimes I'll bring some, uh, biltong or something with me. And I, I try not to worry about it too much. Um, sometimes people give me, give me trouble about, you know, that I'm not eating and I say, well, I'm sorry, but I'm not eating that. Yeah. It's, it's crazy, man. When you, when you change your dieting protocol, no matter what that is, whether it's to keto or something totally different, and you don't eat what everybody else eats. It's it's strange how personal people get with the food that they prepare for others. It's like this. It's like fighting words. It's like you know this weird territorial thing, and like it's like people put their worth in this world into the food that they're preparing for others. And if those people do not appreciate that food, it's like oh they don't love me anymore. And it's just mm-hmm. the weirdest relationship, man. I don't get it. Yeah, when I went through DSK the first time. Um, it was, I think it was Easter. I was, uh, I think I might maybe just switched to one meal a day mm-hmm. or maybe it was two meals. And, and I said, you know what? I'm not eating. And, and Easter at my, at my one side of the family is, is a big old breakfast where it's, you know, biscuits and gravy, bacon, eggs. It's, it's most, there's a lot of keto foods there, but it was also, I'm on a plan. And so I'm not going to eat. And so I watched everybody eat. Uh, the entire meal and then we went to the other side of the family's house and um, I didn't eat there either because nothing was really keto and they're like what do you mean you're not going to eat I'm like well I'm I'm on a plan I'm not eating right now and everybody kind of gave me trouble but you know you got to do what you got to do yeah you got to do what you got to do and it's not like you're doing that you know in a negative way towards them at all. It's like you've got plans and aspirations and you don't want things to come in the way of that, which I totally respect. I mean, there's no telling how many times I've ostracized myself during a competition prep where I would show up with Tupperwares and not eat the prepared food that was there for me or I wouldn't eat at all. And it's like, I think it gets easier. I feel like people understand and respect what you're doing after they've seen the fruits of your labor. And, you know, I mean, like if you've lost a bunch of weight and they see that, they can tell us you're healthier and that your quality of life's better. I mean, who are they to judge what you're doing to get there? But it is very strange that people, they, 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 they get very, very protective over that. And it's just, I've never understood that. And sometimes it's not even that the foods, you don't, sometimes I just say, I'm not eating right now because it might be foods that you know deep down aren't keto. Like, for instance, if you had meatballs that are covered in jelly and barbecue sauce and whatever else is put on them you're like i don't know that i am going to eat that and Mm -hmm. rather than try to explain that you know there's too many carbs in that it's uh i'm just not eating right now sometimes that's easier than trying to explain the reasons why you're not going to eat the food that you're going to eat that you're not going to eat yeah yeah i totally agree man i feel like i mean anytime you want to achieve anything in life whether it's lose weight build muscle improve your career improve your relationship whatever like you're gonna have i mean anything worth having in life is gonna come at some kind of trade-off like you're gonna probably sacrifice something in order to achieve this something else and that is i mean that holds true with improving your physique 
improving your health. I mean, you're sacrificing X in order to get Y. And I personally feel like it's better through the lens of, look, what I'm achieving is much more of a priority and much more of a, uh, you know, a goal than what I'm sacrificing. So in, in that sense, it's not really even a sacrifice because I'm getting something so much more than what I'm losing. But I feel like it's just realistic to expect that you can't have everything just handed to you. So going into that with the, you know, the expectation that you're going to have to have some of these uncomfortable conversations or, you know, forego some of these foods and maybe even rub some people in the family the wrong way. I think that's, that's important. You got to have that expectation. And, and hopefully if your family will understand, I think mine understands and, and they typically want to, to cater to me, but I don't want people to go out of their way to cater to my specific diet. You know, I'm totally. one person out of, you know, there might be 20 people there. I'm, I'm one person out of 20. You don't have to cater to me. I'll, I'm, I'll figure it out. hundred percent. hundred percent. Well, Scott, what's next in the pipeline, man? What, what's, what you got coming up? Well, uh, I'm recovering from surgery right now, but, um, I've, I've scheduled a vacation for next July and I've got like 40, 50 pounds I want to lose. And I'm hoping to come up with a game plan of, of how to do that. I don't, I know that, um, with DSK, I don't think I have enough time to go through the DSK program twice. Um, so I'm just wanted to get your thoughts about, um, how I should attack, you know, nine, nine months or so to, uh, till I get to vacation. Nine months, it's, it's kind of a, a we, we can definitely dive into this. So I feel like a lot of people, um, actually, let's rewind a little bit. So DSK is a 90-day course, and there's like a phase one, phase two, and phase three. There's a reverse dieting phase. And, you know, when I do a competition prep, it's kind of like that drawn out to a much greater degree. And it typically takes between four and six months of dieting to reach the goal. And then I reverse diet out of that. And I feel like a lot of people... You know, if, if you're coming to it from a healthy, sustainable caloric standpoint, from a healthy, sustainable metabolic standpoint, and you're at a healthy body fat percentage, then you can transition into this 90-day cut or like a four to six-month prep and achieve the goal that you're striving for and then have the ability to reverse out of that and, you know, return to a healthy, sustainable you know, body fat percentage. Um, but there's a lot of people that are coming into this from the standpoint of needing to lose a lot more weight, um, or needing to do so over a much longer period of time. And you really do not want to be in a deficit indefinitely, because that's obviously going to wreak havoc on your metabolic system, right? um, hormones and everything in between. So I feel like in that scenario, people need to be able to you know, cycle through these different phases, uh, you know, year after year after year, so to speak. So just as a general guideline, I typically recommend being in a maintenance or surplus three times at least longer than you're in a deficit. Um, so if you're, you know, dieting down for nine months, you could either, you know, diet down aggressively for four to six months and then transition into a more sustainable intake uh, and kind of, you know, be at a healthy body fat percentage, but not maybe your, your goal and then cycle through that again in the future. Or I don't know. I mean, I mean, if we want to super dive into to your case specific, like what, what is your body fat percentage now and what's your weight? And we can kind of just go through this as if we're, we're talking to you specifically here. Well, that might help other people too. I'm about, I'm four. I just turned 42. I'm six foot tall and I'm probably right around 250 right now. 
250. And what um, is your body fat percentage roughly? I would say probably around 28, 29%, something like that. And any idea what your current average caloric intake is? Well, before surgery, I, uh, I started my, I filled out the, uh, macro calculator on your website and I was eating 2200, no, 2400, uh, calories. And I lost like four or five pounds. All right. So 24, 2500 calories lost four or five pounds. Um, with, with your just having surgery, I mean, you're probably not able to train really intensely right now, right? Yeah, I'm I'm off of the training for at least a couple weeks. So 2,500 calories, needing to lose 30, you know, need, not 30 percent body fat. If you're, I mean, what, what are you thinking? You want to get down to body percent wise? Well, I mean, I just want to look good with my shirt off. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, what I would probably do in that scenario, like if you just had surgery and you're taking in 2,500 calories, you don't want to automatically drop calories exponentially because you know you need to focus on recovering right now you need to focus on recovering you don't want to come out of a surgery and then not be able to train very intensely for months on end while simultaneously being in a pretty steep deficit so right what i would probably do is take the next three months being at a moderate not a very aggressive but a moderate caloric surplus um or even just a maintenance honestly and let your body recover Focus on <clears throat> prioritizing your, your strength training during that time um, so that you can have as much lean mass as possible transitioning into a cut. And then after that three-month period, then you can go into a more aggressive style uh, cut and kind of maximize that last six months. And you can lose a pretty significant amount of body fat in that that time, especially if you're starting that cut at a very healthy caloric and metabolic uh, starting point and you've got more lean mass as a result of that priority you know, spent time training hard and heavy. Um, so that's what I would personally recommend. That would make a lot more sense than going right into a deficit, having just had surgery, having not been able to train as intensely as normal. I would try and maximize the next three months at a surplus and then be a little bit more aggressive in that cut. Okay. That would, that would make sense. Uh, how, just like a, a slight, uh, surplus is what you would think. Yeah, so like if you were at, you said you were at 2,200 and you were losing weight or you were at 2,500 losing weight? I was at like 2,400 and I was I was losing weight that first first week and then surgery happened. Yeah, so I mean, I, w- I would think that you could probably bump it up to 2,600. I mean, maybe even 3,000. Like see what your body does at 3,000 if you're gaining or losing and kind of based off of that, know where to go from there. But I would probably there's probably no need to go above three thousand, but if you're somewhere between the twenty six hundred and three thousand mark for the next three months, that should put you at a pretty solid intake. You can definitely build muscle um, at that much of a surplus, and then you can have plenty of caloric runway from which to taper going into that uh, you know six month period of a more aggressive cutting protocol. Gotcha. And then you could I mean totally- then you could train hard and heavy now and get some good benchmarks there and then try and maintain those benchmarks throughout the course of that six months. It's going to be harder as you you know get lower and lower on the calories, but that'll give you a good solid three months to really figure out what your benchmarks are from a, from a training standpoint and then have something to kind of measure against as you go into the cut. Yeah, that, that makes uh, complete sense. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just gonna have to figure out, obviously I got a couple weeks to 
to kind of recover before I can start training, but then I got to figure out the motivation. One of the other things I struggled with is, you know, when the gym's closed, I, uh, I couldn't, I wasn't very motivated to go down in my basement and, and train and, well, the gyms have opened back up, but my wife is still a little nervous about me going, uh, going to the gym. And so I'm still, uh, working out at, at home and it's really hard just to walk down those steps and, and get started. Once I get started, I'm usually fine, but it's, it's hard to get down there and actually get press play basically. You know, maybe this is just me, but I, I think this would be pretty applicable to a lot of people. But like when I, you know, before COVID, before we moved to the compound, before any of that stuff, I was always training at a gym. Like I, I, I trained at my, my dad's shop for the first year and a half of me working out, you know, 10, 12 years ago. And it was just, I, I, I loved it. That was my first, you know, foray into training. So I, I had enough excitement to be able to sustain doing that. But I hate working out in an environment in which there's just a whole lot of distraction. And even if it's like not people distraction, if it, even if it's just something totally unrelated to working out, sitting there looking at me. So like if I'm working out in the shop and I've got a lawnmower sitting right there, I'm looking at that. I'm like, it's totally distraction, man. I hate it. You know, so I would always go to a gym so that I could only see things that are in line with that genre of thinking. You know, like I see other people working out. I see equipment. I see dumbbells. I see barbells. I see, uh, you know, elliptical machines. I see things that exude training, fitness, nutrition. And then this COVID thing hit and everybody's working out in their, their home, their garage. They've got laundry that needs to be done, sitting there looking at them. They got a lawnmower. The grass is getting taller. They need to go mow. It's like not a conducive environment to getting the right headspace to make the most of your training session. So me personally, like I've got the compound here and I've got my own home gym set up and I work out there every day and a half for the past year and a half, two years. But what I did was I blacked out all the walls and I put up, you know, posters. I put up our banners. I, I put a curtain in the door so that you couldn't even see outside there. So when I walk through that curtain, it is game time. It's go it's go mode. And it's simply because there's no distractions. There's nothing in there that that, you know, even mildly looks like something other than training, fitness, nutrition, anything that could possibly be a distraction. So I feel like if you can do that. Just carve out this spot in your basement and put up curtains, do whatever you got to do, but like totally remove all distraction. That's the best thing you can do. Yeah. I'm also thinking about, you know, it's once I'm going, I'm usually fine. So I, I'm thinking about, you know, maybe I don't, I'm not big on pre workouts or anything. You know, right now I usually don't have any problems. So I'm thinking maybe, all right, I schedule my time to work out. I take my pre workout to give me the, the energy to just get going. Um, maybe maybe that will also help me a little bit. I hate those pre-workouts that make you super itchy with all the niacin oh, yeah, and everything sure. in there. But I tell you one thing, man, you get you get to itching, and it's like you got to work out because otherwise yep. you just feel like a terrible person to be around. Yeah, I don't take those very often, but I, I do have some just, you know, if there was a day that I, I absolutely needed something extra. So Yeah, that, that would definitely do the trick, man. That would do the trick for sure. Well, sweet, brother. I'm excited to have had you on the podcast, man, and dive into to your story because – you know, we haven't really ever, I mean, we've never talked. We've, we've messaged on the forums and via email, but I see you on there super active and just helping a lot of people, putting out a bunch of good value. So I just wanted to get you on here and kind of pick your brain as to what, what your journeys look like out of curiosity. And also, because I thought, as you've illustrated, that you've got, you've got a message that I feel will appeal and resonate with a lot of people that have gone through something similar. So I appreciate you jumping on here and sharing your story, man. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. You bet. Scott, where can people go to find out more about you? 
Well, I'm not really out there much uh, on the internet. I've been, you know, posting on the DSK forum, but I do have an Instagram. Uh, I'm brewing keto on Instagram. Uh, I haven't really put out a whole lot there, but I, I plan to uh, start doing that to kind of hold myself accountable. So brewing and, keto on Instagram. And a little caveat there. I think I asked you about this when I first saw your, your name pop up on the forums because it's keto homebrew. So you brew beer, right? I do brew beer. It's uh it's it's totally opposite of keto, um, but it, it it's one of my hobbies. I truly enjoy it, and actually, it was probably one of the reasons why I got as large as I did is because I was drinking all kinds of craft beer, brewing my own craft beer, and I, I still do it. And um, I I enjoy you know being able to serve somebody a beer and have them really enjoy it and and understand that I put a lot of hard work and effort into making it. I love it, man. That so, makes total sense. You ever brew kombucha? Yeah. What's that? No, I have not brewed komb- kombucha. I uh, just beer. Just beer. And wine. I I made wine before too. So you got beer, you got wine. You know, you know, I know you got some kind of like distillery hidden out in the woods somewhere, right? <laughs> it's been in the back of my mind, but uh, <laughs> no, I don't. I love it. I love it. Well, cool, man. Keep killing it. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep keep improving. Keep me posted on on what you wind up doing with that cut, man. If there's anything I can do to help, just let me know. Yeah, I I definitely will. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you know, I have I have a, an end date, so I'm gonna take your advice and probably try three months there, and then and then a real long cut. That sounds good to me, man. We'll keep killing it, and like I said, you you got a lot of good things going for you. So you'll recover from this surgery in no time. You know, focus on the training, focus on getting the metabolism and the calories ramped up a little bit, making the most of that surplus. Then your body will definitely respond to the cut for sure. All right. Great. Take Keep care, doing Scott. what you guys are doing too. There, I I really enjoy the keto bricks. I, uh, I I eat them all the time. I always have them on hand, and you know I'm I'm more of a meat and bricks guy. So. Hey, keep, man. keep up all the good work that you guys are doing. I appreciate it, brother. We got some seasonal flavors coming out that I'm super excited about. So I'll fix you up for sure. I right, can't wait. See you, man. All right. Thanks.